After doing some sweeping against the Phillies last week and showing signs of life, the Mets allowed the Blue Jays to waltz into City Field on Hall of Fame weekend mm. and allow them to return the favor. Uh, the offense was non-existent with the exception of a solo home run barrage that came up short. And it occurred today, but that wasn't even enough to help the Mets salvage a game in the series. The bats will need to turn it up, especially in an impactful series against some of the best pitchers in all of baseball from the Atlanta Braves. We discussed that series. We recapped the Mets Hall of Fame weekend and speeches and who may be coming in soon. The Kodai Senga short rest conundrum and uh, a lot more here on the next episode of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York, folks. It's out of here. We got you. God, that's awful. I still can't believe I tried to do that for him. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. This is the Amazing But True podcast, not featuring Jake Brown. Uh, I will be handling most of the duties alongside Anthony Rivera. Um, Anthony Rivera has fill, is filling in. He's a, a Today's might be the sub, but I might be looking for a, a new co-host because Jake has uh, decided uh, that things like weddings are more important than podcasts. Uh, welcome everybody. Listen, uh, things aren't going uh, as planned. Um, before we get started, of course, got to make sure you guys follow, um, let everyone else know, share, like. Uh, we've got at Figgy NY, at Aunt Rivera 86, at Andrew Hartz. He's going to get props today instead of Jake Brown Radio because he deserves it. That's right. I said it. Um, we're going to get right into it. Uh, just talking about. This Met team after 60 games, 30 and 30, 102 left to go. And the writing's on the wall of what this team needs, Ant. I mean, if you look at everything that's transpired this weekend, it's a perfect example of what has ailed this team throughout the season and what's the biggest difference from this team being a 101 team just a year ago. Yeah. Uh, first off, appreciate you guys uh, having me on today. And uh, unfortunately, it comes at you know, a time when the Mets are struggling profusely. I mean, you guys were on after the Philly series and it's like a tale of two homestands. You know, they swept the Phillies. You know, offense wasn't great. They got a lot from Mark Hanna, who, you know, hasn't really, you know, shown up this season. But, you know, at the opportune time he came to play this weekend, it was just like a flat line across the entire offense. The first two games, they scored one run. Uh, today, the offense got, you know, a little bit. We got a little bit from the offense. And then this was the day that the pitching staff could not handle its duties. So you can never get on the same page with this team. And that's why they are at, like you said, 30 and 30, a 500 team, pretty mid mediocre right now. And hopefully at some point they're going to have to turn this around, especially with the schedule this month being very tough. And now they're going into Atlanta. So it even gets tougher. 
Yeah, Anthony Rivera again, uh, Subway to Shea podcast. Uh, listen, this is one of those things that you you hate to talk about is that this team has always had an issue, whether it's the starting pitching and then it's the bullpen. If it's not the bullpen, then it's the hitting. If it's not the hitting, then it winds up being, uh, you know, running yourself out of an opportunity to tie a ball game like Nimmo has done or Alvarez throwing the ball all over the field now because all of a sudden he's been feeling himself ever since the end of that Colorado series where he hits that home run. And ever since that day, and I think, you know, I looked at the notes and what, you know, Jake had in place, and but I'm going rogue here. My One of my biggest beefs right now is, of course, Alvarez has received a lot of praise because of the way he's been playing and the way he's been hitting. After reaching a high water benchmark of 273 in that Colorado series, since then he's one for 19 right now. One for 19, and this is a guy who doesn't want to walk. He will never take a walk. He's swinging, you know, before the pitcher even releases the ball. And right now, because of his mistakes that he's making back behind the dish, you know, he's showing himself to be a rookie in all aspects. And I think that's something that Buck Showalter was asked today. And you could see it in his face. He doesn't want to say it. He doesn't want to bring the kid down. He wants him to keep riding that high. But reality is is, is that he's a rookie and he's going to make mistakes like this. He's overly aggressive at times with trying to, you know, throw runners out. And it's leading to runs. And right now, the way that the offense is not clicking Every run matters. You hate to look back in the game and go, man, you know, we came up one run short because Alvarez threw the ball around. And I think that's one of the things that if you keep looking for not and it's not to put blame. Oh, yeah, they lost because of him. But this just shows you like he was carrying the team. He was batting 273. And you thought, is he really the second best hitter on this team right now after Pete? Is he going to be the number five hole hitter that Pete needs the protection that he needs? And we haven't seen that either. So he's going through ups and downs. This team is going through ups and downs. And I think it's it's something has to give to get a level of consistency that that 101 team did with all the injuries that they had. They didn't have to ground in the full season. So there's all those same excuses can be said, but they still found ways to win ball games, and they hit as a cohesive unit, right? And I think that is a true statement. Yeah, the first half of last season was a whole lot different. They didn't rely on so much power-wise. There was a lot more of, you know, station to station, but, you know, getting the runner over, sacrifice flies when the need, they needed it, uh, simple base hits to get the runs in. And towards the end of the season, probably at the beginning of September, as soon as they lost Starling Marte, uh, they kind of went in a tailspin and only really uh, Eduardo Escobar was carrying the offense throughout the month of September. And now you look at these guys, they're all having their troubles, including, you know, Francisco Lindor. And, you know, you bring up these kids, you want to see them succeed. And they're all struggling too. Brett Beatty's struggling. I was at the game yesterday. He struck out three times. Um, Mark Vientos, who, you know, he's getting not, you know, the bare minimum of a playing time. But in his opportunities, he hasn't been, you know, getting the hits. Uh, maybe he'll go one for three or get a single here. But that power is not there. It's crazy that the third best power hitter on the team right now is the rookie Francisco Alvarez. And he didn't start the, the year as a start. So it's crazy to see that, you know, the rest of the team has not been producing and the fact that these kids have come in and are expected to be the saviors of the team, that shouldn't be that way. I mean, we need 
Brandon Nimmo, and he struggled yesterday and this past couple weeks. He's been struggling. Alonzo has been struggling. We all know what has happened this weekend with um, with uh, Francisco Lindor. Uh, even Jeff McNeil, he had a. I think he pretty much had an O for t- for today. It's the whole team has just been struggling mightily offensively, and if those guys are not going, this team's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's I think the one big piece of reality, right, is that baseball waits for no one. The Mets have the the distinct honor of playing in the National League East, where they're not playing very good baseball in many in many areas. You know, all these teams are kind of middling right around there. They're underachieving. The Phillies are hugely underachieving. Um, They're eight games back. The Mets are five games back. The Marlins are three games back. And they're a young, talented team that starting to believe a little bit that they can not just hang around, but they can do something, you know, in this division. The Braves, of course, are the gold standard. And until somebody knocks them off that perch, they are going to be the gold standard. I know we were quick to go and say, you know, you got Verland, you got Scherzer, you got Edwin Diaz, you got Alon, you got everything you need. We, we're going to win the the whole thing. We're going to win the pen. First off, you have to find a way to stay on par with the Braves. And they have proven with all their injuries that they have a young nucleus and they can play long ball, but they also are just up and down that lineup. They're so balanced. I mean, Darno is even contributing with the bat as well uh, this season. That That's something that I think people don't understand that when you're counting on just one or two guys to carry the load and it's been Lindor's RBIs, not his hitting, but his RBIs. Um, and Alonzo's home runs that have been, you know, carrying the team for the most part. It hasn't been much else. And even when they were making these miraculous comebacks, right? Again, when when we saw against Tampa Bay, and they 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 found a way to just ride that wave. It was the bullpen that kept blowing these leads. Every time they got the lead, the bullpen would blow it on them. So it's it's one of those situations. That I love, I laugh at, you know, it's the ham, no burger, peanut butter, no jelly. Just you can't do two things right that are going to help your team win. You have to do uh, at least two of the three things right, uh, whether it's defense, offense or pitching to find a way to make your mark, keep your mark and be a consistent team that is able to find ways to win when you only score one run or whether you score 10 runs. And that's the thing that I I think the Mets, they have that nucleus that has done it last year. Yes. And they have that, you know, the ability to hit the ball out of the park in certain areas, but I don't want those guys. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was the getting guys over getting guys in the sack fly, the small ball mentality that sometimes gets lost because they start looking back and they're, you know, probably I would say they're probably around 10th, if that in the national league and home runs. And everybody's, oh, why, why isn't this team hit for more power? Well, they don't have to. To win ball games. you don't have to hit for more power. You just have to hit the ball, and especially timely hits when there's runners in scoring position. Yeah, there does not seem to be this balance. It, it, it seems to happen so often with the Mets. They'll have a year where they'll have a really good pitching staff, and then they can't hit. I mean, we can go back to DeGrom they never scored for. Uh, Santana they never scored for. I mean, it even goes back to the 60s with Tom Seaver. They didn't really score for him either. And he still was able to carve out a Hall of Fame career. I mean, there needs to be a balance. We saw that balance. We saw that balance last year. And they were so good at the beginning of last year. Uh, it took the Braves to go historic to win the division by by a game, although both teams had the same record. 
So this team needs to find some sort of balance where they can get the pitching staff. And I'm giving the starting pitching staff a little bit of time. I want to see uh, Jose Quintana get back and see if they're able to do anything with that. Maybe that way that they could do this six-man rotation where, you know, um, Kodai Senga doesn't have to pitch like he pitched today on four days rest. Um, I know the reasoning why they did it. I know they wanted to get him at home twice because his ERA at home was uh, one point some. I, I don't remember the exact, but it's like one point something where his uh, ERA away is probably in the five or sixes. So they wanted to get him home twice. You don't want him going into Atlanta and getting that blown out. But um, at, at some point, these guys are going to have to give you five, six innings consistently nightly. I mean, it can't be every other game where, you know, Verlander has a really good game and then he gets through like four innings and and we have to go to the bullpen and, you know, see the Dominic Leones come in who came in today and you got Brigham pitching every day. I never thought at the start of this season that I would be seeing Dominic Leone and Jeff Brigham pitching every single day, every day. And even Steven Nagosik, who, who pitched very well today, a uh, nice bounce back from him. I, I wanted him to be on the, in this bullpen, but I didn't want him to be the long man. I didn't see him as that part. I thought he was a you know one inning guy that would come in, and, and they're really missing you know Trevor Williams is what he did for us last year. That whole thing that he did for us last year was very mm-hmm. underrated. Yeah, and and one of the the biggest things throughout this season is that you talk about if the starters aren't going to be able to give you the depth, then you're going to start getting relievers exposed. Brigham is a guy that I've talked about that he was doing very, very well until you put him in a pressure situation. It's always easier when, you know, you're up or down a few and you got some leeway. But when you're holding a one run lead or there's a tie game like we see with Leon, uh, Leon has not pitched in a game that the Mets have won yet. I think that was a crazy stat to hear about. Um, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not getting on him because I went 43 straight. I think it's on major league records. still. I think I went 43 games in the middle of my career with Milwaukee and Pittsburgh, I pitched in 43 games that were not in a win because I was that long man. I was that guy that, you know, could eat up innings. And if the starter got knocked out, I was going to go ahead and pitch. But I went like 43 games without pitching in a game that we won. And, you know, does that wear on you? Sure. At the time, was I thinking about it? No, I was thinking, man, I'm getting a lot of opportunities. (laughs) The bad part was, is that we were sucking. So that was why I was making my opportunities. So I think now we're going to start to see is, they have to find a way to get some kind of bullpen help. I, I know it, it, they're slim pickings right now because everybody's still in the race. You know, the wild card is still wide open. Um, so they got to find another arm or another arm or two. And what is it going to take to get a top level arm? Because there's so many teams that are still in the race. Uh, I think, you know, and any names that you can think of um that would help this bullpen because again the names that we have here we weren't even expecting to read those names those are nice spring spring training names to have now mm-hmm. we're counting on these guys every day yeah and i think the the mets as a front office needs to adjust to this new playoff format and trade deadline format because a lot of teams are still in it close to the trade deadline. And if you want some of their players, you're going to have to give up something. Now look at what we, we got Vogel back and had to give up Colin Holderman. And, and look at what he's doing in Pittsburgh. Look at Pittsburgh right now. So that that that's a, that hurts, uh, you know, seeing that whole thing go down. Uh, the Mets are going to have to figure out a way. They At the trade deadline, all we got was Michael Givens, and, and that did not help at all. 
That didn't help at all. He's gone and and off to uh, greener pastures. Let's let's move on to Kodai Senga. You know, pitching on four days rest. We we did see. Yes, he had a bad outing. And I, I, let me speak to this first because I can tell you what it's like. And and does the extra rest help? Nine out of ten times, it doesn't hurt. But he's been so used to doing that way. Yes, this was the first time, but I can't blame it on that. What we knew about Senga is. He's hot and cold when it comes to his command, right? Part of having swing and miss stuff is that if they don't swing, they're not missing. So we saw the Toronto Blue Jays, who are normally free swingers, lay off a lot of pitches. You know, even when they got called, who who was it? Brandon Belt. They got two high uh, fastballs that were out of the strike zone. He got rung up on both those. Those were balls. And for him to hold off on those and then hit a pitch that almost hit the ground on Leon. You know, it shows how how good Brandon Belt can be. I think one of the things that with Kodai Senga is the ghost fork ball disappearing. If you can lay off of it, it's going to be down in the zone. It's going to be out of the strike zone. So that swing and miss goes away. I, I liken it to a lot where Familia, you knew Familia was going to throw a 98 mile an hour bowling ball sinker. And if you literally held the bat on your shoulder, he probably was not going to throw three strikes out of the out of the four pitches he was throwing to you before he walked you. So I think um, I, I can't chalk it up to the four days rest. I can't. It's just not. It's just one time. It, hopefully it's a one off. Um, and they have a way of getting him the the rest because I, I think he's been so steady outside of that, outside of this one game. Um, and to pull him so early, only 68 pitches, um, you know, I, I think it was a panic move. And you just wanted to kind of put bubble wrap around Senga for the day. OK, he doesn't have it. Let's put him away. Let's make sure he's OK for the next start. But um, I think he and the rest of the staff, there's got to be something. They, there should have been a plan in place from spring training. I thought that at the offset of this uh, season, when the season started, that we had great depth with Tyler McGill and David Peterson, possibly a Jose Budo being, you know, like that fourth extra starter. And when David Peterson just couldn't, I don't know what happened. He had a great spring and just could not translate that into the season when he got his opportunities. The also the problem is when these guys got hurt, you know, instead of now having McGill and Peterson being just a fifth starter. Now you're requiring them to be the third starter, the fourth starter. And it just did not work. And they were not giving innings. You know, I'm wondering, like you said, about you know, Buck taking out a Senga so early. Are we going to have to come to a point where these guys are going to have to start eating innings? Like, even if they're just blowing up, hey, uh, you're just going to have to stay in, get to 100 pitches. If we can get you to five or six innings, fine. Even if you give up five or six runs, because the bullpen is exhausted now. I didn't think it was going to get exhausted by you know the beginning of June. Maybe July 4th, maybe at the trade deadline, we're at that point that they maybe could make a trade. But now we need we need reserves and and they're exhausted and it's it's just awful to see it's like that trickle down with the if the starting rotation is not doing their thing it affects the bullpen and the bullpen can only hang on for so long they had a great first month uh, into may as well and now we're seeing you know the bullpen get tired and you know a prime example was they used i think david uh david robertson i think they used him four or five days in a row and this is coming off of him having such a great month such a great start to the season and now you're seeing a little bit of him starting to give up runs here uh, in in each of his you know appearances, and it's probably because he's been used so much and he needs some rest. And then you got to go to Adovino for two innings, and you got to go to Rayleigh for two innings, and 
without Edwin Diaz, you got to keep going to these guys and we're going to have like no bullpen by the time, you know, the end of June comes. If, if the starting rotation does not go five, six innings, I mean, I'm, I'm asking for six innings. If they can at least go five for goodness sakes, that would be helpful. Uh, you know, we got seven uh, a couple of times already and I'm grateful for that, but it has to be on a consistent basis because, you know, the bullpen is just, you know, tired and we're getting, you know, a lot of Leon, a lot of Brigham, a lot of, uh, Negosic and and one guy that really needs I think to me to step it up is a Drew Smith. I mean I I expect Drew Smith to be a whole lot better than this. I'm expecting him to take the next step to being that you know bridge guy, maybe being a setup man at some point, and he just not has not done that. Yeah, and it, it always looks like he's about to turn that corner, and then he hits a wall and he falls back hard, and, and that's the, the knock on Drew Smith used to be. You'd look up and his ERA was like a one eight, a, a, a right around a two. And then you start looking into the numbers a little bit. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. He gives up everybody else's runs. So it's not on his ERA. And then when he comes in, in in big moments to hold a lead, he's not able to do that or in a tie ball game. Those are the kinds of things that will make you a lot of money in the game of baseball, especially these days. If you can hold a lead and find a way to just get those three outs, finish off the three outs, not get two quick ones or not give up the run. And then all of a sudden find, you know, a way to, to strike out the side. It, he just is so up and down with that. It, it's been very, very frustrating to see Drew Smith. And I think, again, this is kind of the embodiment of where we are with this Mets team, who are the real Mets, right? Versus the Phillies and Blue Jays, uh, uh, the five and seven, in the last 12 games, they've lost two to three to the Cubs, Rockies. They sweep the Phillies. They swept by the Jays. Like, this is a team that you see Buck Showalter and everybody when they're doing their interviews. They look so frustrated and exhausted. And we're only in the beginning of June. So that's very – it's one thing physically to be exhausted. It's another thing mentally to be exhausted because you don't have the answers. If anybody had the answers, then they'd have the fix, and nobody has the fix. So as we sit here on our podcast and you know we can you know give out information, we can paint a picture, we can try and do everything we can, but we don't have the answers. They don't have the answers. It's a frustrating situation because all everybody wants to do is win, but I loved listening to Pete today. You heard that frustration, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. You want guys – to be pissed off as well. It's not just the fans. Yes, the fans pay the money, but the players, man, you think he wants to go home thinking, you know, yeah, I'm having a nice season. I have 21 home runs, but I'm also batting 230. Like he knows he needs to step it up. And can he step it up? He's only going to have four at bats. It's very difficult to do that in only four at bats. So he's playing really good defense at first base. You heard Buck Showalter rave about that as well. And it's just a situation where it's going to take them just like they did you know, against Tampa Bay when they started finding ways to win those games. And all of a sudden, they won five in a row, and you think, oh, this is our team. This is what we've been waiting for. And then somebody let the air out of the balloon, and we're back to where we were just a month ago. Yeah, and it's it sucks too because – they're having to consistently kind of play those type of Tampa Bay games where they have to come back. It happened today, down four runs, right? They make the comeback. They tie it at four right away. They give it away. And then the air's deflated for the rest of the game. They, as soon as the next inning, I always see what happens the next inning. How is the offense going to respond? And when they go down one, two, three, 
that that pretty much is the signal for me. I mean, I, and I probably would have been deflated. I'm pretty sure you would have been deflated as well uh, when you were on the mound, having to you know have given up a lead. So especially when they they came all the way back, they hit four home runs to do it. Tommy Pham hit two home runs. Uh, Alonzo now has the lead at at City Field with 72 home runs uh, in history, and then you have Marte, who you know <laughs> I was sitting yesterday uh watching the game at city field and looking at his stats on the big board i'm like man he only has two home runs this season this is like not Marte-esque and he hits one today and i'm just like so happy to start seeing him you're kind of seeing him as well hitting is getting a little better for him taking better at bats and the defense is getting a lot better he made a nice catch in the outfield where i was worried for him for a while because uh he I don't know if he slid into third against the Marlins and he hurt his neck. And I've been worried that ever since that time, that injury has affected him. And it's, it's, he seems now that he's starting to get a lot healthier. Oh, without a doubt. It was something that affected him and it affected every area of his game, right? It affected his defense. It, I mean, even his reads to fly balls, he looked awkward, right? He looked like he was a little bit lost in some of his reads. This is a guy who can play gold glove caliber defense. Um, You know, it moved McCutcheon out of center field so that he could patrol center field because he was such a great athlete. And yes, he's older now, but he knows how to play the outfield. And he just looked lost at times in the National Series. Remember that when him and Nimmo almost ran into each other, he kicked the ball and goes around for an in-the-park home run, Little League home run almost. That's something where, you know, you you see he's starting to come around. He's starting to round into form. He's starting to hit the ball hard again. Um, you know, a guy like Vogelback, I don't know what he's doing on this team. Yes, he got the only RBI. Uh, for the team, you know, yesterday, but it, it just, he, he's, those at bats just are not doing anything for you. They're not making you think that, you know, he's about to turn it around and he's got to find ways. Uh, the team has to find ways to, again, they need another spark. And unfortunately, the spark that we thought would be up and help this team, Mauricio, he got hurt down in AAA out in Syracuse. First, he hits this hellacious home run. It was like a driving iron off the hard deck and just is about 12 feet off the ground, left in a blink of an eye. And you're like, man, this kid is just so impressive, so big, so strong. And then he's covering second base. There's an attempted steal. Throw comes down. He goes to make the tag, and the guy's leg takes out his ankle at the same time as he's sliding by. He hits the ground. He's you know in pain, obviously. They help him off the field. He walks off on his own power. So hopefully – it's nothing major. They say it's a sprained ankle as of right now. But, man, like it, it, when it rains, it pours, right? Because that's the spark that you want because this guy is a, a five-tool athlete right now. He's, he's struggling a little bit at second base. The transition hasn't been as clean as they had hoped. He's making some errors. But I think DH-wise, if I need a, a left-handed DH, I think I would take my shot with Mauricio right now over Bogelbach. Things are a little bleak right now. Uh, I, I think it's it's to a man. Everybody is pulling on the same end. Uh, they're, they're trying to figure this thing out. And and uh, as Buck Showalter said, big things are ahead. But what, what's ahead and the reality that's ahead is the Mets have the Braves coming up. And that next series is a tough one. You got Carrasco's going up against Elder, who has filled in not just admirably for Kyle Wright, but he's got a 1.92 ERA. You got Scherzer going against Morton, and you got Verlander going against Strider, who is undoubtedly one of the best young pitchers in the game. So you have um, a guy who's you know trying to keep father time away uh, against probably the best young pitcher in baseball. So it doesn't get any easier. Um, they're going to have to find ways 
to to piece this thing together, find ways to score some runs and find ways for this bullpen to keep leads and, and continue to win ball games. So again, exciting baseball is what we hope for and uh, especially meaningful baseball that's later on in September, but exciting baseball, at least for now, so that you can have some hope, N- not like the first two games of this Blue Jays series where you just sat back and were like, this is really who we are right now. Yeah, you talk about a tale of two different teams when it comes to the Braves and the Mets. I mean, anytime the Braves plug in someone, it it literally works. Michael Harris last year, Vaughn Grissom, Elder this year. You talk about them adding these guys, and it just works for them. Whereas for the Mets, it like never seems to work. And I'm pretty sure it's a talent evaluation thing as well. But man, it, it just always seems to come up roses for the Atlanta Braves. It was the Hall of Fame weekend, though. Unfortunately, you know, the Mets uh, put a little damper on uh, on yesterday's ceremonies on Saturday. Uh, but it was really, really, really awesome to see the reaction that that Howie and Gary and Leiter and Pojo got. It's just it, it, it was really awesome to see that. And the fans showed up. You'd like to see that. It's so cool to see a guy like Gary Cohen, you know, a guy from Queens. Or he just he, he just said he goes, you know, I'm just a guy from Queens. I'm like you guys. And. It's that passion that I said it on the last episode, too, with Jake, that these four people are Mets. You know what I mean? Like Al Leiter played for other teams. Howie Rose used to call for the Rangers. But when you think of Hojo, you think of Leiter, Gary, how it's like, yeah, no, these guys are Mets. And I thought it was just it was perfect what Howie said, that he's of all the Mets players, executives, managers, coaches. He said, I feel like I am the proudest Met possible. And, you know, for a guy who never played whatnot, for, for him to say that, that he's a Met, it, it feels right. So I uh, just want to get your guys' reactions on uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony. Yeah, I was there on Saturday. And um, I, I got to say, I got a little emotional when Al started talking because, you know, I didn't get to see Hojo play. I was too young. Hey, hey, but- hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Al, you know, I, I grew up with Al Leiter and like he was my ace. You know, everyone talks about Tom Seaver, Dwight Gooden, you know, Santana, DeGrom. But me growing up, it was Al Leiter. And he came to pitch every fifth day. And, you know, he helped lead this team to two playoff appearances uh, back to back for the first time in franchise history and helped them get to the World Series. And, you know, hearing his speech was, you know, it brought back a lot of emotions. You know, Howie, of course, and Gary. And when I when I started watching, they were swapped, right? Uh, Howie was on TV. Gary was on the radio with uh, Bob Murphy. So, you know, that it, it's a great honor. And, you know, every time these guys come up to talk, they always mention what Steve and Alex have done. And, you know, from the old timers day, you know, to the Keith Hernandez reti- number retirement to this, and I'm pretty sure we're going to see, you know, David Wright at some point who was there yesterday. That was a surprise to me. But um, to see the Mets honor the this history because, you know, the fans, you know, as much as it's been a tough road for the Mets, you know, we do have our history that we latch on to and, and then love. So seeing them being honored was just amazing to me. You know, as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I rooted for the Mets, um, lived the the dream we all dream of, of playing for the Mets. And and I get to call those guys friends, um, which is just mind boggling to me. Hojo was my hitting coach when I was in the big leagues with the Mets. So that in itself was, was crazy. And I remember I was talking to him and I said to him, um, I said, Hey, Hojo, uh, I'm batting, getting ready to go to ninth. I said, Hey, what's this guy got? And he goes, what's this guy got? He goes, just go up there, follow off as many pitches as you can. 
And I'm like, no, dude, I go, I think you don't know. I'm cut from a different cloth. I go, I got to know what his out pitch is so I can take it away from him. And he's just sitting there looking at me like, oh, my God, why are you wasting time? And I'm like, dude, I don't play that game. I don't just go up there and, and take bad at bats. I'm trying to find a way to help my team win. And for a guy who was a middle reliever and, you know, a back end starter, I had to do everything well. And so I told him, I said, I'm, I'm taking pride in this stuff. And I remember meeting him for the first time and how small he is. Because when I was a kid, this 30-30 guy who could hit bombs from both sides of the plate, and he also had speed, he was huge to me. He had to be huge. Like he, he swung a 37-inch bat in my mind, you know? It was mind-boggling to meet him. And I stood there and I'm like, hmm, that's it, huh? And uh, we laughed and I got to coach with him. Um, and uh, it was me, him and Barry Lyons. Um, we coached uh, fantasy campers. And I, I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life to be able to sit next to him and talk baseball and 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 just to make him laugh and to to be there. And, and, and we talk about, you know, some of the times that we had together when he was coaching. And I, I think Al Leiter, again, he is one of the guys who epitomizes uh, that blue and orange workman mentality, right? It wasn't that it was a sexy thing, but you knew it was everything he had every fifth day. It was going to be cutters in on your hands, nonstop, fastballs elevated. It was going to be him punching his glove because he got an out, or if he gave up a run, he was punching his glove the same way with that same passion. So those Hall of Famers, I think they embody, and of course, Jay Horowitz getting put in. Everybody uh, loves Jay, and everybody has, you know, Jay has... I know I almost said it. I almost, I almost did the Jake. I almost said Jay has touched everyone in some way, but <laughs> I, 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 I stopped myself from being Jake Brown for a second and realized that Jay has been with this organization longer than anybody. And he has seen the ups and downs and he has been a part of the inner workings of things. And, um, you know, to see him in his capacity as the alumni ambassador um, and everybody, he makes a phone call and says, hey, uh, we'd like to have you come out and meet the fans. No matter what you're doing, you stop doing it. And you're like, I'm on the next flight because he's that special of a person. You do it for Jay. You know, everybody talks about the old regime and the old ownership group. This is different now, right? They're doing things because they were fans and they want to see players around the ballpark. They want to see those alumni. They want to see the Hall of Fame getting bigger because, you know, players are deserving of it. It's not just to put, you know, just put more uh, numbers up there or try to retire numbers. It's still a very... It should be a very difficult thing to do. But when you talk about a name like David Wright, it seems like the easiest thing to do next, right? I think um, he, he's somebody that has embodied as the captain. Um, and if it wasn't for injuries, I mean, who knows what what could have been because he was a, a special kind of player and, a, and an even more special kind of person. So as far as the two announcers, when you got, you know, put it in the books and it's out of here, those uh, slogans that are, are forever ingrained in our in our mind on everything, no matter what game we're watching, you can hear that being said. The, those are the voices that I, I would always want uh, moderating my games, and and even in my wildest dreams, still I still think I can pitch. Yeah, and you kind of teased it. You said you know David Wright could be one of the guys next, and it's funny because I was looking back through the list of Mets Hall of Famers. And, you know, you're you're right, Figgy. Like, there's it, it's a pretty exclusive list of guys. And, you know, there's a few who aren't in there right now. And I'm kind of curious on, you know, your guys' take, you know, who could be next, possibly maybe next year. You know, it seems that the Mets, especially under Steve Cohen, has taken this initiative of honoring the past and, and you know, paying tribute to the guys that made 
this organization. Let me get your feeling on guys like Carlos Beltran, Sid Fernandez, Jose Reyes, David Cohn. Any of those guys you feel like deserve to be in there? I feel like they do. Uh, if they do multiple people in the Hall of Fame, they always do it from different errors, right? Like last year it was Matt Lack, Alfonso, um, and Ron Darling. Um, you know, this year they did Hojo, Al Leiter. For me, I, I kind of think David Cohn needs to be in the Mets Hall of Fame. I mean, he was a really good, I mean, everyone talks about him because he won four World Series with the Yankees, but you look at his stats with the Mets, they were way better than his stats with the New York Yankees. And unfortunately, it came during a time where, you know, that run for the Mets kind of ran out. But I mean, he was an anchor. For that rotation so is Sid Fernandez both of those two deserve to be in the Hall of Fame to me yeah I, I think when you think of uh that that era of pitching um those two guys embody especially Coney was a young guy on the block and it had to carry the torch right he was left to be the ace you know Saberhagen came along and yeah Cone um just he was one of my favorites because of all the things that he could do with a baseball. He could spin it. He could throw it. He could be a power pitcher one minute. Next minute, he's over there throwing the Laredo, dropping down. And so he had a flair about him. And I, I think he he is a, a deserving candidate. Um, Sid Fernandez, everyone you talk to, every pitcher you talk to who are getting accolades, when they are asked who was the most dominant pitcher like on that team, they would tell you Sid Fernandez with 88-mile-an-hour fastball. Because he hid the ball so well and he just he could pitch up in the zone, big, slow hook. And and, and he just I, I think he doesn't get enough credit. I think he's on the bubble as far as numbers wise. But I think the guy without a doubt that it, for me is going to go in and would represent the more current generation is Carlos Beltran. Um, you know, he did everything you could possibly do um while in uniform while in met uniform um to, to try and help this team win he was a, a special kind of player one of the best switch hitting players of all time and yeah it, it, you don't want to just throw guys in there because you know put put your hat or your logo on them oh yeah he was ours you know the Mets have a long history of doing that with guys at the end of their career no they got Beltran at the right time um and he still had a, uh, he still had stuff left in the tank and and he did it he, he proved it so i think Beltran is a guy that i would definitely love to see in there listen this has been a fantastic episode anthony uh, i have to thank you so much for fill, not just filling in taking jake brown's place at ant rivera 86 anthony rivera of course from the Subway to Shea podcast. He's a tremendous asset to Mets fans uh, with his podcast. And again, to us, um, we we owe you greatly. If you ever need our services, please feel free to not ask Jake to do anything. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you for jumping on with us. Uh, you would like to plug anything? Please go right ahead. Yeah, just the uh, Subway to Shea podcast at Subway to Shea on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the social media. Um, I also write for uh, Rising Apple, uh, Rising Apple blog. Um, so you can check them out on Fan Sided as well. Um, that's pretty much it for me. I just uh, I can't thank you guys enough for not only thinking of me to come on the show, but uh, it's a, been an honor to be with you, Figgy, uh, Andrew, obviously, and um, you know Jake. Uh, He's been a good friend for a while for me, so I, I appreciate this. So thank you, guys. Does anybody here not have a headache right now? 
And that says goodnight to episode 151 of the Amazing But True podcast, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Big thanks to Anthony Rivera from the Subway to Shave podcast for joining me today. And thanks to you, Andrew Hartz, for not only being my producer, but being my friend, my confidant, and not being Jake Brown. Anyway, subscribe to Amazing But True on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the New York Post Sports YouTube page to watch all the episodes. Find that Amazing But True playlist. Give us a thumbs up below on YouTube and comment below how you're feeling right now about the Mets. I think I know how you're feeling. But follow us on Twitter at Amazing But True, at Figgy NY, and at Jake Brown Radio. And oh yeah, don't forget, at Andrew Hartz, H-A-R-T-S. I appreciate it. You got it, brother. <laughs> and speaking of which, I mean, look, you, you made a pretty bold prediction. Sweeping of the Braves coming up. I mean, they see their old pal Spencer Strider, you know, uh, the hair history. Oh, yeah. This is coming after Jake made a bold prediction of saying 5-1. and one. That really didn't work out too well. So how, how, <laughs> how are we feeling about that 3-0 sweep? You know, it, it's not about confidence right now. It's about, I, I think it's out of necessity, right? It's it, it sweep or be swept. That's how it seems to be going right now in baseball. It, it, teams are, are starting to get to those days in summer where, you know, you're seeing the, the wear going on the tread of the bullpens. The, the guys that you've been counting on are starting to, you know, either get injured or look worn down. Look at We just talked about Lindor. Lindor needs somebody that can play shortstop and give him a day off. He should be getting a, a day off at least every 10 days, but you can't do that when you're struggling and he's part of that offense um, that you know was doing well for so long um, with Pete and himself with all the RBIs. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are going wrong, but something's got to turn it around and why not against the Braves when you need it in the heat of the battle you know maybe Buck has a uh, speech up his sleeve or maybe has a, just a, a limerick a, a, a funny joke something that'll ease the tension that's in the room right now you know between the media and and the Mets because they're, they're, it's hard to keep answering the questions when you don't have answers you know, that's one of the things. If you've ever been married, Andrew, you would know that. It's very hard to answer the questions when you don't have answers. So I have not, but I will I will heed your warning. No, look, I mean they I give him credit and this is where Buck, I'd imagine him being the veteran manager that he is, where he'll be able to keep the locker room together and, you know, find a way to keep him loose and you know, again, there's no better way, like I said, to start off here with a three game sweep of the Braves possibly. You know, why not us? How about that? Why not? It has to start somewhere, and, and it's not like you're going to get different players to be involved. It's the same nucleus that has to get the job done. So whether it's returning the small ball or just, you know, finding a way to score one more run than your opponent, a win is a win. So I'm, I'm standing on a sweep of the Atlanta Braves, and we'll catch up about that on the next podcast on Thursday. All right, thank you. Well, for Nelson Figueroa, I'm Andrew Hartz, and uh, Jake Brown, he'll be back this week. Don't worry, you'll get, <laughs> you'll get your fix. I'm sure we'll hear plenty about the wedding in the Carolinas. but uh, At least as much as he remembers. Or as much as he remembers, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But uh, there's only one way to find out. Got to tune in for that episode. But Biggie, appreciate it as always, and uh, I'll let you wrap it up. You know, those those three magic words that uh, you always Oh, have. you can't say it. I forgot. You can't say it. Oh, I'll, you know, I'll, this time, thinking for you. Listen, a a Andrew Hartz, of all the things, he's not perfect, okay? Uh, ladies, I can tell you he's not perfect. He is a Yankee fan. <laughs> so he, he has one flaw. But 
Listen, I'll, I'll take it over. I don't want you to go. Listen, you have your religion. I appreciate Stay it. Stay there. I got you, brother. From Nelson Figueroa and the Amazing But True Podcast, let's go Mets.